Welcome to the world of Aeora, a news and lore podcast about the Pillars of Eternity games, as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the world of Aeora. I'm your host, Eric, aka Gingerino. Thanks everyone for joining me as I return back into the fold for podcasting. For those who uh, aren't aware, I took a a wee bit of a break just to take care of some mental health stuff. I'm back now and raring to go. I've been looking forward to getting back behind the microphone for a while. Thanks everybody so much for your patience. I received several emails from those of you who listened offering encouragement and just telling me to take my time. And I know I responded to most of you saying uh, thank you for that, but I really, truly want to tell you that I appreciate it. Like getting the emails from you guys, uh, giving me that encouragement and support and just, even though I knew I didn't need permission to take the time that I needed, it was really still nice to hear it. You know, it just, it made it easier making that decision. So thank you so much for the support you guys had. Um, I'm here and I'm back. I'm not going to be doing the weekly episodes like I was before. I'm just kind of slowly putting things back together. So these episodes are, I'm hoping every two weeks, it, because we're going into the busy season for UPS, it might be once every three weeks. We'll see. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going to stick to a super rigid schedule for now. I'm just going to take them as they come. Uh, but I'm hoping that we can go back to that original once every two weeks kind of rotation. For those new to the show or, you know, if you don't really care about any of those announcements, we're going to be diving into the history, lore, and game mechanics of Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2 as we gear up for the release of Avowed because they all share the same fantasy setting known as Aeora. And today, we're going to be talking about a topic that I've kind of already covered in other episodes, but I have not really done an episode on its own. And I'm kind of surprised that I haven't done this yet. It's kind of egg on my face, you know, whatever. But anyways, today, we're going to be talking about one of the most important factions in the first Pillars of Eternity game, known as the Tribes of Aeroglanfath. If you played the first Pillars of Eternity game, you're going to be very familiar with who they are. And if you've listened to my episodes at all, you've also probably heard about them. So this isn't going to be something that you're not unfamiliar with if you're even remotely familiar with the games or this podcast. But we haven't really sat down to talk about just them on their own. So join me as we get into the discussion on the tribes of Erglanfoth, their customs, their language, their government... Without further ado, let's dive straight into the lore. I'm curious, what exactly did you find there? So to give some context on what the tribes of Erglanfoth are, I'll probably just call them Erglanfoth or Glanfothans from here on in. Uh, To put in context who and what they are, they are as they sound. They are a set of tribes that make up a nation within an entire region of the world. So in the fictional history of this world of Aeora, uh, during the time of Pillars of Eternity 1, Uh, We are coming to the aftermath of a set of colonies that have recently gained their own freedom from their original mother nation. To give a very quick synopsis of the history of that, there was this old empire known as Adir, which uh, lived in a continent on its own, and they were exploring the world. They traveled east across the ocean for thousands of miles and came across a new continent, a new world, and they called this continent the Eastern Reach. The Adirian Empire began setting up colonies here on the Eastern Reach, such as Rayad Saris, as well as the Deerwood, which is the setting for the first Pillars of Eternity game. However, when the Adirians and other old empires as well, 
got to the Eastern Reach, they did discover that they were not the only ones there. And that is because there was already people living on this continent. And as you might guess, the Glanfathen tribes were the native tribes that were already living on the area. So the Glanfathens are the native tribes to what is called the Eastern Reach. Um, I don't ever recall seeing that land named anything else, like the entire continent of the Eastern Reach. I don't see it being named anything else by the Glanfathens. If anyone knows off the top of their head, send me an email, worldofaora at gmail.com. But that is the context of who we're talking about today. We're talking about these tribes of people that existed on the Eastern Reach before anyone else got there. Now, if you've heard my episodes on the Deerwood themselves, particularly the colonists and their history from being colonized in the area to the wars that they had with the Glanfathen tribes and eventually gaining their own independence as a nation, you'll know that they have a pretty colorful and uh, rocky history with the Glanfathen tribes. Uh, but they do kind of have a sort of a peaceful alliance going on at the time of Pillars of Eternity 1. But before we continue on talking about Eir Glanfath, it would probably be helpful for some of us here to, you know, talk about a little bit about Glanfathen language. So that way, as we read through the lore in some of the sources we have through the game and in books outside of the game, we can understand how this language works and how they talk, as well as just, you know, get an appreciation for that fantasy language stuff. I love this kind of thing. So in Pillars of Eternity, there is a book called Elementary Glanfathen. It is a book that kind of discusses the language of the Air Glanfath. It is written from the perspective of an Adirin or a Deerwood, I suppose, a Deerwooden, who is wanting to let their soldiers or whoever know just elementary basics about how the language works so that they know how to interact with Glanfathens when they run into them out in the wild. And so it reads as follows. Your soldiers are not fully armed or even decently dressed without some basic knowledge of the Glanfathen language. If your scouts cannot eavesdrop, if our captured soldiers cannot recognize the words of their captors, or if our officers cannot answer to a call of parley, we fail. Knowing just a few simple face painter words could mean the difference between tactical success and defeat in detail. Uh, so this is written from the perspective of wanting to bolster the efficacy of soldiers within the Deerwooden army uh, that does use a derogatory term for for the Glanfathens here, face painters, uh, because they painted their face as part of their tribal traditions. Uh, but yeah, the, the idea here is that a soldier is better as a soldier if they know some of the basic language of the Glanfathen tribes. Glanfathen writing is, like Adirin, adapted from the old Valian alphabet brought overseas by the Adirans long ago. The Glanfathens put their own spin on this alphabet, so there are some noticeable differences that can confuse the uninformed. And so this is where we get into the meat potatoes of things. And I, as much as it'd be helpful if you were able to read this personally, which you can do if you look up elementary Glanfathen on the Pillars of Eternity fandom, um, I'll do my best to describe this for you in a not boring way for an audio medium. Uh, so we have things like capital A and a lowercase a with a, uh, this is, it's kind of like an angled hat above it, is the difference between paw and pat. So a so an A with a angled hat on the top is like pat, and a capital A is like paw, or a regular A. A regular E and an E with the angled hat is the difference between hen and hay. I and I with the accent on top is the difference between ilk and eel. O and O with the same accent is the difference between oats and ought. W and W with the accent over top is the difference between butt and boot. 
Note that last part. In Irglanfath, the letter W acts as our letter U. Speaking with a consonant woo sound is the perfect way to alert a Glanfathan to the fact that you're a dear wooden struggling to learn the language. So those are just some basic ones, and this is just the uses of vowels here. So we have A, E, I, O, and W instead of U, right? So Adirin is kind of like English. Sorry, so it's it's common if you're if you're used to D and D terms, uh, but A E I O W is the Glanfathan equivalent, and the difference is here. And A is pa and pat, and for E it's hen hay. I is ilk and eel. O goes from oats to ought, and W, which subs in as a U, is like butt versus boot. So the difference in sounds there are whether or not you have no accent or you do have an accent over top of the word. And I'll give some examples on how this works because I, I know that this is kind of hard to follow through an audio medium. There is a word for armor in the Glanfathan language. It is spelled A-R-G-W-E-S. Now the W has one of those angled accents over it. So A-R-G-W accented E-S is pronounced R-G-U-S. Does that make sense? So the W is like its own oo sound. There are some other tricky differences within the Glanfathan language. For example, DH is used as a hard thorn sound, such as with this or that. Conversely, TH is a softer sound in Glanfathan, barely vocalized, like when one says thief or thought. So thief or thought or versus this or that. So DH is when you're like really pronouncing the TH in a word, and you actually use TH in situations where it's a little softer and you know almost not even being vocalized. The letter combination SI sounds like a soft sh sound, like in ship. If you put an accent on it, that is SI with the accent over the I, it sounds like she. And those are really just the basics of what you as the player need to learn uh, if you want to get into it as much. So before we move into more lore on Erglanfat themselves, we'll go through some of their words and how to pronounce them. The word Anam means soul, and the word Anamfath means spiritual leaders of the tribes. Uh, if you wanted to use plural, you would call them Anamfatha. Arguis, uh, we already said is armor. B-E-W-N-E-N -E -E is life, so that's Be-Anen. Uh, this is a W without an accent, so it's not an U sound, it's an uh sound. It's a, like a harder U. So Be-Anen means life. B-L-A-I-D-H means wolf. It's pronounced Blaith. That D-H is a hard T-H sound, so blaith. Kas, C-A-S, means battle. Delem, D-E-L-E-M, means leaf. Den, means man. Enfath, means princess. Estramor, means foreigners. And uh, plural is estramoran, uh, so that has a W-N at the end, not a U-N. Right, so these are all examples of Glanfathen words. If you want to look up some more, again, you can find this elementary Glanfathen on the internet on the Pillars of Eternity fandom. There's a couple more that I do want to say here, just looking down the list because they are a bit important. Uh, we have ri, which is R-I with the accent over it, or rio, uh, which is the plural for ri, and that means wise one or wise ones, depending on which word you use. And so that is elementary Glanfathen. Those are some basic words that you can know as you are reading through some of the uh, the lore of, of Glanfath, or if you see words or things like that within the game. Uh, now, we, when you face the enemy in the game that is a P-W-R-G-A, you know that that's a Pugra, because the W has an accent over it. I, for the longest time, didn't know how to pronounce it. Turns out I was pronouncing it properly, but I didn't know that, along with so many others. So there, now we know how to, to pronounce some of that stuff. 
if this is even remotely interesting to you, I again, I recommend you go look up the book on the internet. It's way easier to just read than hear me talk about. But it was part of the lore, so we're going to talk about it. Getting into some of the statistics and, you know, facts, the dirty, detailed facts about the Glonfathans before diving into some of the more, I don't know if you want to call it soft lore, um, we are going to take some information from the Pillars of Eternity guidebook. So this is the official guidebook written for the lore that accompanies the game, but it's a book on its own. You can actually buy a copy on Amazon, I think. I'm not sure, but it's like a hundred something dollars now because um, they're not making them anymore. So the tribes of Aeroglonfath, also known as Glonfathans, they are approximately 750,000 in population across all the different tribes. Most of them are either Wood Elves or Orlans, um, so those are different races within the world. Wood Elves you're probably familiar with if you've um, played or read or consumed any fantasy media. Orlans are kind of like halflings, except hairier and with much longer ears and two tones of skin. There are, of course, of course some humans and other dwarves within the Glanfathen tribes themselves, but they're mostly comprised of Wood Elves and Orlans. Their government structure is organized under six different tribes. Each tribe is headed by an Amenfath, which means soul prince in their native language. And these soul princes are spiritually descended from other Amenfatha. Uh, again, souls in this world are concrete things, like they're very real, there's no debate about it. And there's a cycle of reincarnation known as the wheel that exists in this world. And so through different means, uh, the people are able to look into past lives to see what your kind of your ancestry of your soul is. Tribes also have councils of Rio, which are wise ones of varying sizes who advise the Amunfath. So there is a council that helps advise the Amunfath on decisions that they need to make. The six tribes do not have a central authority, but the Amunfath meet regularly to discuss tribal issues or problems that affect all of Erglanfath. So it sounds like these tribal nations are kind of individual, but they all recognize that they are collectively one group of tribal nations. Um, so there's no like central authority here, but there is, um, there is a recognition that they're all one people in a way. The prominent faiths in this society is Galloway, Lord of the Hunt in all its forms, Remergon, God of Entropy, Hylia, God of Birds, the Sky, and Creativity, and Bareth, God of Cycles, Doors, and Death. So now getting more into the actual people group of the uh, Glanfathans themselves, they're located southeast of the Bale River, which is a location within the Eastern Reach, and you can, I believe you can see it on the map in the First Pillars game, if I'm recalling my information correctly, and that the land south and east of that big river is typically the lands that the Glanfathans live on. Now, when we get into the history of the Glanfathans, especially as it pertains to Deerwood, we'll talk about this a little bit more, uh, but the Glanfathans actually weren't originally native to this area. They were brought over by a, a lost society of people called the Ingwithans. The Ingwithans brought over the Glanfathans to this location in the world on the Eastern Reach and basically charged them with protecting their sites. Uh, so the Yngwithans lived in this area. They had little towns and villages and cities and whatnot. I'm kind of glossing over a lot of history and lore there. And basically what the exchange was between Yngwithans and the Glanfathans is the Yngwithans brought the Glanfathans to this new place for it to be their home. And then the Yngwithans mysteriously disappeared. And the belief amongst the Glanfathans is, is that they had brought them to this promised land, if you will, this place that they now call home, and in exchange for giving them a home, they must protect the remnants of their sites, the ruins of their ancient society. And so the Glanfathans really, really hold sacred these ancient ruined sites that you can see dotted throughout the landscape of the 
the Eastern Reach and particularly the Deerwooden area. And this is going to really come into play with the history as it involves the Deerwooden colony from the Adir Empire. So the, the Glanfathans continue to protect the Ingwithan sites as well as the Audra pillars in the area because they believe that they were associated with the Ingwithans. And uh, they don't explore them themselves, but uh, they do hold them as important. Elves and Orleans of the Glanfathan tribes typically live in the forest in semi-nomadic tribes. Uh, they do have permanent buildings and settlement, um, that, which is contrasted against the Huwana. I've talked about them from the Pillars of Eternity 2 game, uh, are very nomadic. They don't put any permanent roots down at all. But the Glanfathan tribes will. They'll set up some permanent buildings where they want to live within the forested areas. Despite being uh, tribes that live within the forest and live off the land, um, they're actually very, very well-versed in mathematics. And that's not to say that tribes can't be like that. I just think it's usually not the first thing that people think of. Uh, and uh, But it, it's always been an important thing for me to know, especially me. I'm a math nerd. I love mathematics. I studied it. And so finding out that the Glanfathan tribes were also highly into mathematics, uh, it, it was very interesting. And I, I like that that little added detail. I think I like it just because of the the juxtaposition between like their advanced understanding of mathematics versus their level of technology. They mostly incorporate wood and stone, you know, rather than uh, steel or things like that. Before diving into the history, let's go over quick the virtues and vices of their society so that we have a better understanding of what uh, an average Glanfathan citizen is raised to believe in. The virtues of this society is cleverness, subterfuge, frugality, communality, and uh, mathematic aptitude, as I mentioned before. Cleverness, as it says here, Glanfathans admire and revere clever people. This doesn't mean intelligent people, broadly, but quick-witted individuals are those who are capable of devising and executing complex plans, especially if they involve tricking others. Given two ways of doing something, Glanfathans will almost favor the one that is more complex or intriguing. I like this one. I, I'm not sure if I'm necessarily a very clever person in this particular way, but when I'm playing a video game and I'm role-playing, I often find that I like to role-play as this, uh, where you're like doing quick-witted and clever things on the go. I, I, so this is a it's an interesting way of doing things. Uh, this is something that they've. This is one of their virtues. So this is one of the things that they think makes you a better person within their society is that you have this quick wit about you. Subterfuge. In Glanfathan culture, being able to conceal one's intentions or misdirect attention is considered skillful and worthy of respect. In line with their high regard for cleverness, Glanfathans most appreciate subterfuge when it's artful. A well-told bald-faced lie has its place, but it's considered a bit pedestrian. And so this idea of subterfuge is in line with cleverness. It's, a, you know, the idea that you are skillful in something and that you can misdirect and be tricky. Uh, I say, like, getting this idea that being able to, like, one-up each other um, in, a, in a clever and sneaky way is considered good in society. Frugality. Glenfathans live in relatively austere lives and pride themselves on needing little to survive and thrive. The accumulation of property and wealth is not unheard of, but it's typically the, mis the miserly, hoarding kind. If someone loses a great deal of property or wealth, the proper response, quote-unquote, is to shrug it off as insignificant. And so, basically, you don't have a lot of attachment to the material goods that you have. You don't hoard it. Um, it doesn't say anything here about because they need to make sure that everyone around has enough to go around, although I'm sure that plays a part of it. It just seems that they pride themselves on not needing all that stuff. Uh, so uh, if you live a minimalist lifestyle uh, with just having the things you need, that's considered good. Communality. 
Communality is very important to Glanfathans, not just in the sense of a specific community, but in the sense of a shared welfare between all Glanfathans. Tribalism is widely discouraged, not just through social shaming, but through rituals and traditions such as quote-unquote trading family members for jobs or significant periods of time. The entire concept of dear wooden feuds is abhorrent to them. So communality is a, an important aspect to them. It's this idea that they are one community, that they are all Glanfathans, even though they're separate tribes and separate families, etc., etc. They are one people group, uh, which is why tribalism is very discouraged. And it seems they actually have built in things within their society, these rituals and traditions, for example, to stop that from happening, such as trading family members with each other, which, you know, obviously would promote peace. You don't want to go to war with a neighboring tribe when a whole bunch of your tribe is working for their good with them, right? And lastly, mathematical aptitude. Something that has dazzled Dear Woodens for generations is the Glanfathan love of mathematics and insistence on ensuring all Glanfathans are proficient in elementary mathematics like arithmetic, geometric logic, and algebra. Additionally, many Glanfathans have proficiency in calculus, often to the embarrassment of Dear Woodens and Valians, who previously believed they were the pioneers in the field. The passion for math rarely manifests in a sort of civic project or invention, but is used to explain how the world works, or doesn't. Due to their practical mindset, Glanfathan mathematics are always rooted in observable real-world phenomena. So it, it sounds like uh, mathematical aptitude is a, a really important part of their society, and it's a, it's a measure, I suppose, of how... It's a, it's a measure of uh, partly of your worth, I guess, within society. This is something that you are supposed to engage with as a Glanfathan. Now moving into the vices of this society, we have selfishness, cowardice, vanity, social intoxication, and token gestures. So these are the five things that are considered abhorrent by the people of the Glanfathans society. First is selfishness. Uh, selfishness is a terrible vice amongst Glanfathans. Possessing great wealth in any form is fine, but monetary, spiritual, or emotional greed is bad. Glanfathans are expected to share with their communities without prompting or complaint. Um, this is in contrast with the uh, frugality, I would say, that is a virtue. Their vice is a selfishness. So selfishness is not good because then there's less being spread out amongst society and people need to be able to survive. And selfishness, I think, is actually universal. Like, even in our own world, people recognize that greed is bad. You know, they're like wanting to have possessions is not bad in its own, but like when it crosses a certain line and it becomes greediness where you need to have it at the cost of other people, uh, perhaps their even their own well welfare or health, uh, that is a negative thing. Most people recognize that. Cowardice. Glumfathans of all ages and stations of life are expected to be brave, not in the sense of showing bravado, but in the sense that they should never show or give in to fear. Bravery is the standard expected of Glanfathans, which isn't to say that bravery is celebrated and cowardice is denounced. Glanfathans do not expect each other to be foolhardy or suicidally valiant, but they do expect that when the time comes to act, there will be little to no hesitation from others in their community. I imagine this comes from the idea that, like, you know, the living off the land can be very hard living, and there can be some pretty um, trying times and scary moments. Uh, it, it behooves the best of the entire community that everyone... Um, stand up against any fear that they might have. So I could see why cowardice would be looked down on because it puts other people in riskier positions. Vanity. Glanfathans put only a modicum of effort into their personal appearance. That isn't to say that Glanfathans are unkempt beasts, but they view time-consuming grooming and primping rituals as foolish. People who, put a clearly, people who clearly put a great deal of time into their personal appearance are not taken seriously by Glanfathans. I like this one. I find it very interesting. 
especially living in the society I live in, um, this idea that like, if you're putting a lot of effort into how you look, like they're not going to take you seriously. Right. Like, so if you, it just, interestingly enough, you would stick out like a sore thumb and people would be like, Oh man, like this person is way too into themselves. They're not part of that communality thing. Like they're thinking more about themselves than the rest of the people that they're around them. And so they're kind of just disregarded. It sounds like, uh, I, f- I find that one interesting. Social intoxication. Glanfathans believe there are times and places to be intoxicated, but quote-unquote, out in public, is not one of them. Glanfathans who visit Deerwooden communities are often dismayed by taverns or public celebrations involving alcohol and other drugs. Reactions to intoxicated individuals is ranged from pity to disgust, though hostility is uncommon. Okay, that's interesting. So when I read social intoxication, I thought it meant something along the lines of like um, almost being drunk on the need to have like social approval or something, but no, it literally means being drunk out in public and like having these social gatherings where people are just getting inebriated by alcohol. Uh, so this is not something as celebrated within this society, uh, probably for good reason, because it, it would likely lead to more problems than solutions to problems. Token gestures. In Glanfathen communities, an action is only worth what it accomplishes. Deeds are measured by their results. Apologies must contain remedy. Words alone are meaningless. Symbolic gestures, empty talk, and hollow courtesy are exceptionally insulting to Glanfathans. And this can make sense. I, I get this, right? You know, it's easy enough to apologize for something, but then to not follow up with action. It's easy to say that you're going to do something and then you don't, right? So it's for the Glanfathans, words mean only so much because people can lie. And so that makes a lot of sense. I think that's universal in a lot of other cultures as well, but this one seems to be very particular for them. Like this is important enough that they had to write it down in the lore. Now, with that out of the way, kind of having a better understanding of who they are as a people group, let's get, let's get into some of the history that we see between them and the Deerwood and Colonies. Now, I'm going to go over this real quickly because we've actually talked about this a lot in other podcasts. In fact, I've already, like some of the lore I've read right here, I've already read on other episodes. I actually stopped midway through recording and looked through each of my episodes because I swear I've read this stuff before. Uh, and that's because it comes up a lot. So just blasting through this history here um there's not a lot known before the deer wooden colonists arrived from a deer uh, because it's just very poorly documented it's quite literally says that um in erglonfoth part one early contact that's a book that you can find in the pillars attorney game it opens by saying the history of erglonfoth before it was discovered by a deer and explorers is poorly documented and oral accounts often conflict so we don't know a lot about the glonfathen tribes before the Deerwooden settlers got there. Um, they were able to uh, kind of discern that there are an, uh, there was an advanced civilization that left and took all their knowledge with them, leaving ruins of their civilization behind, etc., etc., which we'd already talked about was the Ingwithans. When the Adirans arrived on the eastern reach and began to settle the Deerwood, the Glanfathans were not used to encounters with outsiders. Like, this is not something that they were used to, and they kind of viewed it as a test. The ruins that covered their land were considered sacred, and these people started plundering them, despite the fact that they were warning them that you that this is important to us. Don't go there. Like we're gonna we're gonna bite back. And so they they're already not really liking these colonists in the Deerwood. And on top of that, Glanfathans were then becoming captured and forced into slavery if they ever resisted these colonists. And so despite their best efforts to push these people away, more and more colonists came and eventually started settling down towns and pushing Glanfathans out of areas that they had lived in and enslaving any that they had captured. 
as you can imagine, this led to a lot of conflict between the nations. Um, the first major one being the Broken Stone War, which essentially was like at the height of all this conflict. You can imagine like the tensions are just boiling and boiling and boiling. And then this farmer who is a colonist knocks over an Audra pillar, which again is sacred to the Glanfaben peoples. Whether this farmer did it on purpose or not is unknown. In my mind, it sounds like it was an un, like an uh, an accident. But regardless, like it just that was the last straw, and it, like a war broke out as a result. Uh, one of the leaders of the Glanfaden tribes' armies, anyways, or the person who was like leading a lot of this revolt, was a person named Reg, uh, or Regd. I'm not sure. R e g d. And there wasn't a GD in that uh, book where we read about languages, so I'm not really sure how you're supposed to pronounce that. Um, I've always thought his name was Galvin Regd, but it turns out Galvin is actually a title. It means, like, leader or something. So in, in previous episodes where I've referred to Galvin Regd as a name, it's actually title, and then his name is Regd. So uh, that man was an Orlin within the Glanfaden Society, and he led a lot of the revolt with the Broken Stone War. Eventually, through um, uh, different conflicts, there was a stalemate between Regd and this other man named Adrang Hadrit, who was on the Deer Wooden side. Um, again, I'm, I'm kind of bl blasting through a lot of history here. They did reach a stalemate, and eventually they did kind of sign a, a peace treaty of sort, but it didn't quite end slavery, right? So there's still a lot of tensions going on there, but um, there's obviously peace as an option. Like, it's starting to be possible right it's just got to try to get everyone on both sides to actually agree um however you know despite these this uh, effort at peace and there being kind of a tumultuous tension going on between these two nations um things started to deteriorate uh, it turns out that there were still people breaking into these ruins which part of the peace treaties were that they weren't going to do that anymore and these sacred sites were being plundered the glanfathens eventually revolted again except this time regged who is still in charge of the Glanfaden side, he now is facing against Edrang Hadrit's son, Admeth Hadrit, who had a much more severe tactic in warfare. And that involved forcing the Glanfadens to flee into the forest and then setting the entire forest on fire. And it was a very effective method, but the Glanfathens lost a lot of people as a result. It was devastating for them. Versus in the Broken Stone War, the Glanfathens actually were kind of on the upper side. Like they had... Uh, they had defeated more Deer Woodens than they had lost on their own side. However, um, thankfully, uh, Admeth Hadrit, you know, still wanting peace between these two s groups of people, um, he actually put new laws in place to, to ban slavery entirely, and you, it was also illegal to go into the Ingwithin ruin sites, which were considered sacred by Glanfathens, and so it seemed like there was actually going to be peace between the two. And the peace between these nations did grow and grow and grow to the point where when the deer wooden colonists were fighting against their mother Dacian Adir um, in the War of Defiance, the Glanfathens actually contributed to helping the deer woodens win that war. And even before that, they had uh, they had allowed deer woodens to come into their society to learn from their Brushalguin or Brishalgoan, I guess it would be the proper way of pronouncing it, which are the, like, mind hunters. They're essentially uh, psionic-based hunters. A uh, very, very interesting group of people. Not that we know a lot about them. 
And so that's like a very, very quick synopsis of the history of Ergolanfoth between Deerwood. Now, the reason it's very truncated is because I'm going to get into this next book called Glanfoth's Customs, and it references these historical moments. So I just wanted you to understand the context of that. So from the book Glanfoth and Customs, which is a book you can get in Pillars of Eternity 1, uh, we see these different holidays that exist within the society and what they reference. This looks to be written almost from the perspective of a, a Deerin anthropologist or a Deerwooden anthropologist. Uh, they're just kind of looking at the Glanfathen society. It opens up saying Glanfathen customs can seem primitive and unsophisticated to some, but all customs begin with a ritual or superstition. So why should theirs be considered any less than any other? If they are examined closely, Glanfathen celebrations stem from a deep and rich culture and all tied to their history in a significant way. So just it's just a, an opening paragraph to kind of like level the playing field on like, I think, cultural elitism or thinking that these people are savages or whatnot. Um, so then it dives into these different holidays and customs. First one called the Festival of the Ancients. Uh, this takes place during the spring dawn, which is like early spring and is a time to celebrate the Glanfathen settling in Er Glanfath. It is a simple three-day ceremony that is mostly centered on feasts. These feasts are set up around the ruins scattered through Er Glanfath. Wreaths made from tree branches and flowers are placed at the ruins, and prayed, prayers are said to the gods, thanking them for health and prosperity. So it sounds like they almost go on like a mock pilgrimage of sorts. It's like you go from one Glanfathen uh, ruin to another Glanfathen ruin, and you eat different feasts at these locations, and you kind of go on a tour throughout them all. Uh, so that's the Festival of the Ancients celebrating their arrival in this land. As I told you before, they were brought here by the Glanfathens, and they're celebrating that this is their home now and the history of how they got there. The next holiday is called the Cleansing. The cleansing started as a protest, recreating the hardships wrought upon by the Glanfathens by the Adirian colonists when they started settling in the Deerwood. It has morphed over the years and is now used more as a game mixed with a teaching tool to inform your Glanfathens about the history of their people. The cleansing takes place on New Year and Mid-Year, so those are two specific days within the calendar year of this fantasy world, and now acts as a metaphor for real events instead of a recreation of the events themselves. Zarup effigies, uh, Zarups are like, kind of like kobolds if you're familiar with D&D beasts. Uh, they're like little, they're like very mini dragons. They're not actually dragons, but they look like little lizard people. Uh, you can actually see them in the Avowed gameplay trailer. Uh, Zarup effigies are placed throughout the forest, hollow clay shells filled with sweets and gifts. The children then search the woods for the effigies and destroy them, cleansing, quote unquote, the forest so they, Glanfathens, can move in and occupy the areas. After the area has been cleared, the they gather for a celebration and feast where the elders tell the young members the true story of their people's history. So it's an interesting little holiday, especially for the kids, right? Like you got these little Zarup effigies around with little sweets and treats inside of them, and the kids have to go out and cleanse the forest so they can move in and live in the area. Um, and then they celebrate afterwards. It sounds like a lot of fun, actually. I wonder if there's anything like that, any equivalent or kind of thing like that in the real earth world. I'm sure there must be something in some culture somewhere. Next is Holiday of the Black Tree. A combination of Day of Remembrance and a celebratory feast, the Holiday of the Black Tree is held on the second day of autumn falling, which I believe is like late autumn, when the trees are still colorful but losing their leaves and the land is becoming cold and dark. Glanfathens use the day to tell the story of the War of Black Trees, which is that war I mentioned where they burned the forest uh, as part of the military tactic, and remember those who were lost. 
During the morning, the adults hang elaborate garlands from the tree branches. The garlands are made from red, orange, and yellow flowers and represent the flames that swept through the forest of your Glanfoth, destroying everything in their paths. After a morning of fasting and reflection, the children are set to run through the trees, tearing down the garlands and bring them back to the feast, decorating the tables with wildflowers, turning the horror of war into something beautiful. They then eat, cheering the peace that they now have with Deerwood and Peoples, and toast to the many years of peace to come. So that's a, that's kind of like, that's a good one, you know? Like, it, it would be very easy to let, like, bitterness and resentment take root in your entire society, but they actually have this holiday where this horrible thing happened in their culture's history, but they're turning it around to say, but now we live in peace. You know, there was war, there was strife, there was conflict, but now there is peace, and that is what we are choosing to celebrate. And I like that. On top of these holidays uh, is a little section here of this book talking about traveling customs. Uh, because they are semi-nomadic people, they practice customs to ensure safety while traveling. So, uh, for example, things that Glanfathans tend to do when they go on different uh, trips or expeditions. If you are taking a quick trip, you purchase a gift for someone you are visiting and leave it at your home. If something important is left undone, such as a giving a gift to a loved one, you will always return to finish the task. I'm not sure I understand this. If you are taking a quick trip, purchase a gift for someone you are visiting and leave it at your home. If something important is left undone, such as a giving a gift to a loved one, you will always return to finish the task. I'm not so if you're you're buying you're going on a quick trip and you buy a gift for someone you're visiting. So you went on a trip to visit someone, you buy them a gift, but you leave it at your house? I I'm this is confusing to me. If anyone understands what's what's being said here, send me an email, worldwayora at gmail.com. I'm not sure I, I get what they're saying here. I thought maybe it sounds like you buy something, you leave it at home, so that way you will come back home. Uh, but I, I don't know. that The wording here is confusing me. If you're taking a longer trip, leave remembrances of your trip, no matter how well you know the road. Drop some pebbles along the way, tie ribbons to tree branches, etc., etc. Mark your path away, and you'll always have a safe and easy trip back. So even if you know the road really well, you should still do this. At least that's practiced by people in the Glanfathen tribes. Evil spirits and dangerous creatures are everywhere in our world. If you decorate your cart with masks, they will scare away any danger that might otherwise approach. But you must decorate your cart anew every trim or the evil won't be fooled by your ruse. That's cool. I didn't know that before, about how the Glanfathens would actually decorate their wagons and all that with masks. Hi. Oh boy. Okay, so that's a lot of lore we went through. Um, I just want to say quickly, by the way, if you were very interested in hearing the history of the Glanfathans in more detail, I do talk about it a lot when I do my Deerwood episodes, which I believe are like, I can't remember, it's either in my late teens or early 20s of, of this podcast history. It was a long time ago, uh, but feel free to check that out. It gives a lot more detailed description. I, I wanted to give a description of that same history from the Glanfathans side, but there isn't really like a perspective based piece of history like there's no book from their perspective that really goes into more detail that's worth reading for an entire episode so if you want to know those details more i talk about it a lot but those are the episodes to go check out this episode has gone on long enough for recording so i'm going to close out this episode uh, but before i do let's ask is the glanfathen tribes going to make an appearance in avowed in any way is an oath worth the weight of a crown so normally I would say no in this instance because I'm like, well, we're playing in the living lands and we're from a deer. Like, I don't see why the Glanfathen tribes would really be here. But if I remember correctly, in way in the background in the gameplay trailer, there's a lot of banners being hung off of different buildings. And I'm pretty sure I saw the Glanfathen tribes banner there. I can't remember exactly, but I don't 
I still am not convinced that the Glanfathen tribes will still be part of the avowed narrative because it very well could have just been a, a banner that was there in the gameplay trailer but isn't like actually going to be there in the finished game. So I'm not 100% convinced that that would happen. Um, I don't see them not being present in any way. I think there will be a, some mentions, obviously, of the Glanfathen tribes. And we very well might run into people who are from the Glanfathen nations that there's no reason that that wouldn't be included. Like you might see them in the market somewhere or wandering on some roads, making a big trip somewhere to this new and f newfound world or something like that. So there might be a reason as well that some Glanfathens might be here, or perhaps they're interested in this soul corruption that we know about for Avowed as well. So there's a chance. I, I don't see it being a big part of it if there is anything, but there is a chance. Uh, so if there are any Glanfathens within the game of Avowed, I don't expect the interactions to be very deep, like if it's just surface level stuff or maybe some small quests. That's my expectation. I don't know. If anyone disagrees with me, send me an email, worldofaora at gmail.com. All right, so that's everything I want to go over today. Everyone, thanks so much for um, putting up with me on this episode. I was a little bit scatterbrained. It's been a little over a month since I actually did this before, and so I'm kind of I had all my research and I held all my notes out and I was just like getting back into it. And uh, But I realized like, man, if you don't lay down some tracks, it's easy to lose focus on what you really want to talk about. So um, if it was a little bit lacking in quality than what you're used to, I apologize for that. I'm going to get back into the swing of things as I rebuild um, healthy boundaries and structures into my regular lifestyle for my mental health. Uh, but again, thank you for you guys' patience and support on that. Um, uh, what have I been playing? I know that necessarily some of you probably don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Let's see. I've been playing, actually, lately I've been playing a game called Sea of Stars. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Uh, it came out around the same time as Starfield, so not everyone was paying attention to it. But it's kind of like, sorry if you can hear my son in the background. It's bedtime and I'm going a little bit late. Uh, sea of Stars is like a, it looks like a Super Nintendo era game. It's a pixel arted. And it's, it's like the old school Final Fantasy games or even Chrono Trigger, I'm told, takes a lot of DNA from Chrono Trigger. And it's not a game that I would normally play. But for whatever reason, I was just attracted to it. I don't know if it's the cover art or what it was. And I was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play Sea of Stars. And so that's what I've been playing. I played a few other games over the course of this last month when I was kind of recovering. I played Cocoon. I played Jusson. Uh, and a couple other little puzzle games, just like really quick and short ones. But the one I've been really sinking time into is Sea of Stars. Oh, wait, Lies of P. I did play Lies of P uh, all the way through. Uh, I love getting through a good Souls game. I, I, I needed I needed that. Actually, it was weird. It was really good for my mental health. I don't know why. But yeah, Sea of Stars. Um, great game if you're into that uh, old school JRPG style game. Uh, the writing is good. I think it could use a little bit of work. Uh, not that it's bad. It's just very tropey in certain areas. And uh, that didn't bother me, but it might bother some people. So it's been a very fun game. I'm 17 hours in and I'm really looking forward to being done. Not in a, like, I can't wait to finish kind of way, but like see where the story goes. I'm invested in the characters uh, and and the gameplay, which they're always keeping it novel. I like that. But yeah, so that's what I've been playing. What have you guys been playing? And what did you think about today's episode? Or what questions might you have? Send me an email, worldofaora at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you guys. Uh, thanks so much for your supportive emails that you sent. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping to get back into the swing of things. If you have any insights or questions you want to ask or ideas, anything, send me an email. I'm looking forward to it. If you want to follow me on Twitter at worldofaora, I'll keep you updated on how the show's going and everything like that. Uh, but that's typically what I'm going to do there. That's everything for today. Thanks, everybody, for joining me on today's episode as we dove into the 
history and the lore of the Glanfathen tribes as seen in the first Pillars of Eternity game. I had a lot of fun talking about it. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I've been your host, Eric, a.k.a. Gingerino, and I'll catch you guys next time.